you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. You know, my, my grandson asked me this morning, Grandpa, why are you so sad? So I had to give him the explanation. I said, everyone is going on vacation. How come nobody's asking me to join them? There's someone who took, I don't know if you know these stories, there's somebody who, who took the train ride from the east to the west, and she never bothered to ask, Pastor, would you like to join me? And I heard somebody has gone to Panama, and somebody has gone to Florida. I get this email last week, and I was wondering, only me and Pastor Dio will be in the church today. Twelve families went away. But thank God. Thank God. God is good, and thank for, for all of you who are attending this morning. And I hope you are enjoying this, uh, this summer vacation and the Canada Day. I know that we arrive at the closing verses of chapter 16. We are still eavesdropping on the conversation between Christ and the disciples. In just a few hours, Christ will be facing his imminent death. He is comforting and encouraging the disciples with what is about to happen. Of course, you can picture the disciples, they were frightened, they were confused, and they were distressed. And in their minds, they are still processing what the Lord has been saying all this while, which started in the upper room. Now, here's what the disciples heard so far. Jesus telling them, you will be persecuted because you belong to me. You will be put out of the synagogues. You will be killed. But don't worry. But don't worry. You will not be abandoned because I'm sending a helper, and when he comes, he will not only give you new revelations, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Your sorrow will turn to joy. How do you process this? It's just like this. You are going to the doctor, and the doctor said, your test results are just out. And your, all your arteries are blocked. And you let to go through an open heart surgery, and it's going to take about 10 hours. But don't worry. Don't worry. Because we have the world-renowned surgeon who will perform the surgery. So fear not. Be of good joy. Church, I want you to know this. If Satan can get you to feel as though God is not with you, then he can cause fear to infiltrate your heart and fill your mind with doubt. And that will cause you to become paralyzed in your fear, won't it? Yes, of course. Some of you today may be feeling that way. You may be frightened about something. Or you, may, you begin to question your own faith. You begin to doubt the sovereignty of God. That's where it starts. It's not, if it's not dealt with properly and on time, 
the fear takes control of you and you fall through the downward spiral of spiritual depression. That is a slippery slope. So church, there's absolutely nothing new to you or I because all of us have been through that at some point in our lives. And not only we have been through that, we see biblical examples of godly men who have faced this and who have fallen down the chute of depression. Let me show you. Let me show you this. We have David. He described his problems like this. He says, bowed down and brought low, feeble and utterly crushed, and groaning in anguish of heart. This was David. Sign of depression and lost. Then we look at Jonah. This is what he says. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Have you felt that way in your life? And then you have Job. This is what he says. In lamenting his extreme suffering, he said, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. But before we dive in, I want to mention this today. Spiritual depression is a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. It has four distinct levels dragging you emotionally and spiritually downward. And it can happen to anyone. And here are the four stages. So I want you to come along with me very carefully and follow this. It's a downward spiral of spiritual depression. It starts with disappointment. Being disappointed, not getting something we want. Church, that is not sin. It's not sin at all. It can happen because of your marriage partner. Now, he or she does not understand you or showing you the love that you want or not getting a job promotion or struggling to have a baby at the desired time. Disappointment comes as hopes and dreams are dashed. Are you disappointed about something today? I want this message to be very personal to all of us, including myself. Is there something that you are worried about today? Is it about your partner, about your children, about your job, or, or vocation, or finances? But recognizing that God has a purpose for every disappointment, and that he has never made a mistake in what he allows in our lives that will lead us towards greater trust. Now, stage two, when a person is disappointed with, with uh, what the Lord is permitting in his life, and he cannot accept it as part of God's sovereign plan, he slides into the second stage of discontentment. Discontentment. That is a sin. Because that leads to anger and bitterness towards God. How many of you have felt angry with God? Don't put your hands up. Bitter. Either through self-righteousness, because you think I know it better, God doesn't know, or through self-pity. Self-pity. I am a poor victim. I want you to examine yourself. Otherwise, this message won't become very personal to you. Now, a discontented attitude, if not addressed, 
brings greater loss and will cause someone to spiral down to the next stage of despair. Of despair. Now, church, when a person feels despair, they believe there is no way out. There is absolutely no way out. They believe in a lie that the Lord has abandoned them. How many of you have felt that way? That the Lord has abandoned me. He is hearing someone else's prayers, but he's not answering my prayers. There is no way out of this crisis. If the person in despair continues to be convinced that the lie is true for them, they slide further down into a destructive mode which will lead to depression. And then you are doomed. You are doomed. They will hit rock bottom emotionally and spiritually and could not come out. And that would cause, cause damage in their relationships, in employment, in finances, and even their own life. The journey out of depression is not easy. It's not easy at all. While one can move quite quickly through these levels of spiritual depression that I show on the screen, the good news is this, church. Together with the right support, a person can stop their downward spiral and move out of depression to, by bringing God and His Word to bear on their thought patterns. This is the crux of today's message. This is why when I come, when someone comes for counseling, I try to strengthen them in the Lord. In the Lord. The, we have to direct them to the Lord. Because it is the Lord who can redeem you or, rest, or restore you from the slippery slope. So in today's text, we are witnessing a group of men who are sliding down the spiral of spiritual depression. And the Lord is fully aware of it. Jesus knew very well at this time that the disciples are about to desert him, run away from him. Jesus knew that the disciples are about to fail spiritually and that they would get into a spiritual depression soon. That's why the Lord says in the last verse of what we heard being read, he comforts them by saying, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. All of you, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So, but he's encouraging them, saying that these things so that their spiritual failure would not be final. They will not end up in the stage of depression. He is equipping them to overcome their failure and go on to serve him. They may lose the battle that dark night, but they will not lose the war. They will not lose the foe. So in today's text, we see five factors of God's provision that Jesus outlines to help the distressed disciples in their process of spiritual restoration. So with that having said, I would ask you to open your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 16. We are going to look at verses 25 to 33. 
as we prepare to dive into this scripture, let me present a scenario here. Some of us may be standing on the brink of the downward spiral about to be sucked in. Are you one of them? Or some of us are at the stage of disappointment having not received what we should in life. Or some of us have fallen to the next stage of discontentment. We are angry and bitter towards God. And some have gone further down the chute and, and in a state of despair, there is no way out. Pastor, please know that I am abandoned by God. Or yet some of us have hit the rock bottom of depression. It may affect your life, your family, your relationship and your focus. This message is for you. The Lord is ministering not only to the disciples, but to every believer, every believer who are trapped in this downward spiral of spiritual depression. So with that intro, let's dive into the text today. Let us read verse 25. Come along with me. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. So here's the first encouragement we learn from this text. Let me say it first, and then I'll explain it to you. Our spiritual restoration comes by our hope in Christ. Can we say hope in Christ? That's how our spiritual restoration happens first. Let me explain it to you. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, these things I have spoken. These things, he refers to the upper room discourse. He has been talking to the disciples over the last 24 hours. And it also may represent the conversations or the counsel he has received from, uh, the disciples have received from the Lord over the past three years. And then he says, look at this passage, I have spoken to you in figurative language. What does that mean? What does that mean? The, it means, it refers to the meaning does not lay on the surface. That's what it means by figurative language. You don't grasp it right away when you hear it. So the Lord recognizes their confusion over many of the things that he has said. And Jesus knows, yes, he says, yes, I know. I know that you are not able to comprehend all that I said to you. And I know it is leading to disappointment and despair may lead to discontentment. And he says, trust me, have faith in me. That's what the Lord is telling here. He promises a time in the future, in the near future, that he would speak about the Father in a way that they will understand. You will understand. So in spite of their present spiritual confusion, he is giving them hope for, spirit, for future spiritual clarity. That's what you're seeing here, church. We see many examples in the Gospel of John, and we have, we have studied that in the past. Let me give you one, remind you one. Remember when Jesus cleansed the temple and the Jews challenged him for what he had done, and this is what Jesus said, John 2:19, Destroy this temple... And in three days, I will raise it up. What does that mean? Was he referring to the temple in Jerusalem? Absolutely not. 
He is referring to the temple of his body. This is figurative language. But the interesting part is that when did the disciple understand this? Not immediately. Look at this passage. Verse number 22 in chapter 2. Therefore, when? When he had risen from the dead. His disciples remembered that he said this to them. And they, what happened? Believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. It's only after, later on, after they see the burial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they understood the meaning of this figurative language. They didn't grasp the spiritual truth that Jesus was saying at that moment. But later it became clear to them. They were confused first, but later they gained spiritual understanding. Look at verse 25 again, please. And he says, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. Now Jesus gives them a timeline when they will understand. You won't get it today, but there will come a time. Wait until after the death, the resurrection, ascension of Christ, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will indwell them permanently and guide them into all the truth of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, listen, only then the character and the purposes of God would be further disclosed. And that is what you see in the New Testament that you and I have. So Jesus is telling the disciples, I know you're not able to grasp the things of God. Your inability to comprehend pushes you into the spiritual spiral of downfall. But have faith in me. Have faith in me. When the time comes, it will be revealed to you. And then you will understand plainly who God is. This hope in Christ will bring you out of your spiritual downfall. So he asked, Pastor, but why did the Lord speak in mysterious terms to the disciples? Why? Why couldn't we say it very plainly and say, I'm talking about my body and not the temple? Why didn't he just make everything in the Bible clear to begin with? Church is a great question to ask. You know, looking at our own situation, how many of you have felt this way? You would have asked the same question, why is this happening to me now? I cannot fathom, I cannot understand what is happening in my life, it, what is happening in my child's life, in my workplace, in my relationship with my spouse. I don't understand it. Why aren't you telling me plainly God? How many of you have questioned God like that? The same question the disciple asked or they wondered, I'm sure it crosses our mind and John Calvin puts it so beautifully about this. He said the Lord allows us to be confused for a time so that we will learn our spiritual poverty before he brings clarity to us. I loved it. I loved it. Because if it were all easy, we would take credit for our own brilliance rather than humbly seek the Lord for understanding. Here the Lord is telling, have faith in me. The time is coming. I will speak to you plainly. And he did. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. Church, on a personal note, I never understood why I had the near fatal motorbike accidents about 45 years ago. I never understood that. 
It was not my fault. I never understood why the fracture was never healed in my leg. I bombarded heaven with more questions. But when the time came, when the time came, the Lord revealed to me, son, I needed to break you, to mold you, to make you humble so that you will exalt me. I made you decrease so that I will increase in you and I will be glorified through you. So today, church, I rejoice in my affliction for I now know why the Lord permitted it. Church, naturally, the disciples are facing a spiritual downfall, and, but Jesus assures them of a future revelation only when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. That is what the Lord is doing to us, to all who have failed spiritually. No matter what, which stage of the spiral you are in, if you place our hope in Christ, he will relieve us from our distress. Church, when we recognize our own spiritual dullness, instead of allowing our minds to wander and analyze and come up with theories, let us seek the Lord for insight. And then when the Lord gives us light, it is the Holy Spirit within us brings revelation. Then we glorify Him, not ourselves. So the first thing that we factor that we find for spiritual restoration comes by our hope in Christ. Our hope in Christ. Let's move on. Let's read verse number 26. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Very interesting passage of Scripture. So let me say what it is, what the factor is, and then we'll, we'll dive into this. So our spiritual restoration comes by our privilege in prayer. By our privilege in prayer. Jesus has repeatedly told the disciples that they are to ask the Lord, ask the Father in his name. And what we are seeing here is he's clarifying that. What does that mean? In that day, you will be able to talk to the Father personally. You don't need to come to me and have me request something of the Father for you. It's a bit confusing. Because, well, if you really examine that, if the disciples, that's how it has been up to this point. In their relationship, they worked up to now, up to that point, whatever they needed, they went to Jesus. They went to Jesus, and we see Jesus during his earthly ministry, isolated time after time after time, again and again and again, in prolonged times of prayer with the Father. And what was he doing? He was taking to the Father all their requests on his own. Now Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, takes residence up in your, in your life, you are going directly to the Father. You will have direct access to the Father. Church, come along with me very carefully. This is really a stunning thing to the Jewish people. It was a shock for them to hear this. Because God was distant and veiled for them. God was symbolically in the Holy of Holies. It's only once a year the high priest can walk in. 
and to have that intimacy or the or the or the or the or the, or the int intimate talk with with the lord in the holy of holies but at the cross the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom the holy of holies was exposed and god was saying everybody you have free access to me so jesus says look in the age of the spirit you don't need to ask me you can ask the father in my name what does that mean what does that mean ask in my name let me explain to you though you have direct access to ask for what we desire only only if it's consistent with the name of the lord jesus christ and the will of jesus and the purpose of jesus the father responds the father responds you don't need jesus to go for you that doesn't mean that jesus does not intercede for you because we see many scriptures where we can see jesus is interceding for us he intercedes for us on the matters over which we have no insight and knowledge and wisdom he is interceding for us church listen because of christ we have direct access to god now that alone sets christianity apart from judaism in a significant way that alone sets christianity apart from catholicism in a very significant way because in roman catholicism they teach and have taught for centuries that access to the father comes only through whom through mary through mary so jesus clearly says here you don't need me you can go directly to the father in my name this instruction from the lord refutes the theory of praying by proxy in the catholicism and even judaism where religious rituals dictates your approach to god but what christ teaching here is that he doesn't have to persuade a reluctant father to be gracious to us he doesn't have to do that rather the father himself loves those who love and believe in jesus so through christ we now have direct access to the throne of the loving father john calvin puts it so beautifully here look at this passage this is what he writes there is a remark this is a remarkable passage by which we are taught that we have the heart of the heavenly father as soon as we have placed before him the name of his son church here's the exhortation for you and i if you fail spiritually it may be because you haven't prayed you haven't prayed if there's one thing i want to pick on my wife is that whenever i go and tell her some issues the first thing she tells me is pray your prayer time is not enough but that is so true that is so true church we are facing the difficulties because we don't pray but even when you have failed you can still come to the father and ask in jesus name not on the basis of your performance but for his purpose and glory church listen satan will come to you at a time of spiritual failure and tell you you have no right to pray god is 
God is critical at your hypocrisy and don't bother him with your phony prayers. Those are lies. Jesus encourages these men who are about to fail with the promise that they can go directly to the Father who loves them and who will hear them because of Christ's finished work on the cross. That's his promise to you when you fail spiritually. So the second factor for our spiritual restoration comes by our privilege we have in prayer. Let's continue to read verse number 27. This is what we read there. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I believe that I come from, I came from, sorry, came forth from God. What Jesus says here leads us to the third point, that our spiritual restoration comes by our Father's special love. Father's special love for us. Church, at first glance, when you look at it, this verse sounds as if God's love for us is conditioned on our love for Christ and our faith in Him. That's how it looks like. Because you have loved me. But many scriptures contradict such a notion. Look at some scriptures. What do they say? Look at this. In 1 John 4.10, it states, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. That He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In 1 John 4.9, look at that. We love Him because He first loved us us. Paul states in 5.8, my famous verse is that, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ loved for us. So our love for him is the result of his prayer love for us. So pastor, what is Jesus saying here? That's a question that you will ask. Jesus is talking about a special love relationship that the Father has with all who love His Son. We, I want you to understand, the Lord loves the whole world. The whole world. Because we see that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave. That He gave His only begotten Son. He loves the whole world, but He especially loves those who love His Son. Who are those people? The believers. The believers. We are the recipients of that special love church. How do we know that we love the Son? We learned it earlier and, and we, we, we hit this home run many times. It says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will do what? Keep my word. So anyone loves Jesus, he will keep his word. Who are they? They are the believers. And the Father will love them. And then do what? Look at this passage. Make a board. What does that mean? They'll come and reside in you. Wow. That's the blessing. It's only to believers. Only to believers. So in this context, as you look at verse 27, for the, love, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and I believe that I came forth from God. In other words, Jesus is telling the disciples, you are the recipients of Father's love because your love for me and because of your faith 
in me. That's the one that makes you believers. That's the one that makes you the recipient of God's special love. Church, when we go through trials in our life, mostly we feel lonely. We cannot speak to anyone. Why? Because you are ashamed to share your dirty feelings. We, don't, we want to protect our images. We don't want people to gossip about us. So what does that do when you are frustrated, when you face trials? It makes you in a solitude environment. You cannot talk to anybody. We stomach it. We suffer in loneliness. We have no shoulders to cry on. And having none whom you can trust to unburden, we go down the chute of spiritual depression. But Jesus is comforting those believers who have failed spiritually. Be encouraged by the Father's special love and grace for you. If you are a believer, like the father of the prodigal son, the heavenly father is eagerly waiting for you, so return to him. When you come home, you don't get a lecture from him. He throws a party. Aren't you excited about that? As a child of God, you return to the father. You're not hearing a sermon. He throws a party. What a relief. You know, after my father's death, I felt abandoned, I felt lost, I felt lonely. Don't get me wrong, I had my family with me, but there was a loneliness that I could not overcome. Because I felt no one could understand my pain. Then one day, I experienced his love. And that changed my outlook. I was given, I'm not ashamed to share, Every time I went to the doctors, they kept adding the tablets for depression. I ended up having four tablets. And one day I took the four tablets in my hand and I said, God, the scripture says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you made me, these four tablets wouldn't have been part of that. Yes or no? And I looked at that, if you are a true, loving, caring, compassionate God... Help me to come out of this. Because every time I went, the doctor said, you need to increase your medication. That day, I saw the love of God. I experienced his love. And that was the turning point. That took me out of the spiral of depression. So we looked at three factors here, church. The to help us overcome our spiritual failure, firstly, is our hope in Christ, our privilege in prayer, and our Father's special love. Let's move on to verse number 28. Here Jesus says this, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. What is the Lord telling here? What we see here, church, is a, the great movement of salvation. That's what you are seeing here. It is a twofold movement from heaven to earth and back again to heaven. So Christ here is succinctly summarizes God's sovereign plan of salvation. 
So the fourth factor, let me say it, we can overcome our spiritual failure by God's sovereign plan of salvation. Church, listen. Christ's heavenly origin is important or else he could not be the savior of men. His heavenly destination is also important for it witnesses the Father's seal on the Son's atoning work. When Jesus said, I came from the Father, it points to Christ's eternal glory with the Father before the world began. When Jesus said, I have come into the world, Jesus came into the world to reveal the Father to us. Jesus explained to Pilate, why he came into this world, look at this in his testimony, he says, for this I have been born, for this I have come into the world to testify the truth, truth of what? Meaning the revealing the triune God. That's why Jesus came. Again in verse 28, as you look at that, he says, I am leaving the world again, he says. And he left the world by the way of the cross. He went to the cross voluntarily. The cross was the very reason that he came into this world. And Jesus said, I am going to the Father. This points to his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven. He would not have been raised from dead if he could not have returned to the Father if the Father had not approved of his finished work on the cross. So he asked, Pastor, how does this encourage us when we have failed spiritually. It helps us realize that the entire plan of salvation did not originate with us, but with the triune God before the foundation of the world. We are only the recipients of the gift of salvation. Because of the finished work of Christ, he came from the Father he came into the world. He leaves the world through the cross. He returns to the Father. His resurrection and his ascension is what we are seeing there. What does it tell to the believers? The work is done. The work is completed. You are the recipient of this. You do not have to do anything. And you cannot do anything to overcome. From the start to finish church... Our salvation does not depend on our perfection, but rather on God's sovereign love and grace. He has done it. If you remain faithful, he will see you through to the very end. That is why Apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Philippi, and he said, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me, he will see to its completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So do not be afraid of your current crisis. The end of your story is victory. I want you to remember next time when you are hit with the trial, you are fighting from the victor's end. You are fighting from the victor's end. Imagine that, church. So we looked at four things here so far to overcome spiritual failure. Number one is be encouraged that there is always hope in Christ. Be encouraged by the privilege we have in prayer. Be encouraged by the Father's special love. And be encouraged by the Father's sovereign plan of salvation. That leads us to verses 29 to 33. Verse 29, we see the response of the disciples. Follow along, please. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things. 
and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came from the Father. So in other words, they are saying, we got it, Jesus, you don't have to worry about it. But did they? Look at Jesus' response, verse 31 and 32. Jesus answered, do you now believe? I sure you got it. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has come now that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. From this, we can see that Jesus is gently challenges their presumption. You ain't seen nothing yet. You think you got it. You have not yet. In spite of their lack of understanding and in spite of the Lord's knowledge that they will shortly be scattered and leaves Jesus alone, Jesus concludes, this is wonderful promise, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Wow. You didn't get what, I was, what I'm trying to tell you, he's telling the disciples. I don't think you can comprehend it now, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When the Lord chose you, I want you to be very personal. He knew everything about you. He knew all of your secret sins. He knew all the awful thoughts that you have ever had. He knew all the rotten words that you have said. He knew all the times when you would arrogantly think that you knew, but you really didn't know. He knew the times when you should have stood boldly for him against the forces of darkness, but you turned to run away. Yet, he still chose you to be his child. He still offers you his peace in this troubled world. Imagine if it is your spouse. Imagine if it is your children. Imagine it is your parents. They would discard you. He still offers that peace. So the fifth factor, we come spiritual failure by our peace in Christ. Do you see how the Lord is encouraging the disciple? He says to them, be of good cheer. Can we say that together, please? Be of good cheer. You know, in the New Testament, every time you go home and do a word search on this, uh, we see the word be of good cheer. They come from the lips of the Lord. And I want you to look at these examples, see under what circumstances the Lord is saying these words, be of good cheer. Let me give you some examples here. To the paralytic, he says, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. When? There are sin in involved in that. He said, be of good cheer. Secondly, to the woman who was suffering, Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. Thirdly, we see another one to the disciples, seeing Jesus walking on water, they were freaking out. They were panicking immediately, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then look at the next one. 
to Paul when he was arrested in Jerusalem. Because that was the purpose. God has called Paul with the purpose. But he was arrested in Jerusalem. He said, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, what? Be of good cheer. Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also be a witness in Rome. And you later on see how Paul was taken to Rome as a prisoner. But God gave him the provision to go there. Look at next one. The last one that we see is in today's passage. To the distressed disciples, he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And when we look at all these instances, church, we can be encouraged by knowing that we have peace in our Lord's pardon. Are you struggling with sin? Is that the one that is causing you disappointment? You have peace in our Lord's pardon. He says, be of good cheer. Are you struggling with physical ailment, suffering like the woman who was bleeding for 12 years? The Lord's we have peace in his power. Are you suffering in a panic attack? Oh Lord, everything, I'm so scared of the future. We have peace in his presence. That's what he said to the disciples. Or is your calling from the Lord is very clear to you. His purpose is clear to you, but you are not able to achieve it because of the trials of life. Just like Paul, be of good cheer because we have peace in his purpose. And finally, are you distressed? Be of good cheer. So church, as I bring this message to a close, I don't know where you are in your life. What factors are causing you to be disappointed in life, to be discontented in life, or that may be pushing you into despair mode, which if you don't address, can lead you to depression. But God is able to restore you. The spiritual restoration comes only by our hope in Christ. The spiritual restoration will come by our privilege in prayer. Are you burdened? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Our spiritual restoration comes because of Father's special love. Are you a believer? Know that He's abode, He's in you, He's with you, He loves you. People around you can abandon you, but He is with you. He will restore you. Our spiritual restoration comes by Lord's salvation. There is nothing that you can do because you, you are fighting from the victor's end. The end of your story. In this life, church, people may reject you. People may abandon you. People may put you to shame. But there will come a day that you will be raised up. Your banner will be raised up. And you will be welcomed by the Lord because of the finished work of Christ because of salvation are you distressed today be of good cheer the peace of Christ is with you we ask the worship team to come and I want us to all to stand please as you are about to sing a beautiful song
when I was preparing this message, please give me one minute to sum this up. I, I looked at some of the missionaries who have gone abroad and served. You will be surprised. You'll be surprised. John Wesley, the father of Methodism. And I am a believer. My, my, my grandfathers and great-grandfathers are believers because of John Wesley. God used him to bring the gospel to Sri Lanka. He had a difficult marriage. Disappointment, discontentment. He came out. God used him. William Carey in India. His wife had mental issues. God used him mightily. David Livingston in Africa. He was a loner. He had numerous conflicts with fellow workers. He virtually abandoned his wife and children who suffered greatly without him. Yet God used him in Africa to open Africa for the gospel. Amy Carmichael. Do you know that she suffered from neuralgia? She was often weak and in pain. So great. She, I read that she was confined to a bed for weeks at a time. For weeks at a time. But she found a life calling. She went to India and spent her remaining 55 years there without ever going home. Yet these saints overcame the spiritual spiral and they were restored spiritually. I'm not here pointing out on their weaknesses to excuse my own, but seeing their shortcoming and failures helped me realize that even when I have failed spiritually, I can be encouraged by God's love and grace. So I pray that every one of you who are going through struggles, there is hope for you if you take refuge in the loving and gracious Savior.